draft has come and gone, guys. The Oklahoma City Thunder have acquired four new players, traded up for a third lottery selection, and have positioned themselves for a very fun summer league. Welcome back to the Thundersticks podcast. I'm your host, Ben Kreider. We're just going to be breaking down what we saw in tonight's NBA draft. And as I'm recording this, it's going to be posted a day after the fact. Just got done with Sam Presti's press conference. So we'll have some tidbits from that in there. But really just want to look into the draft and what we saw from the Thunder. You know, picking up prospects in Chet, Jalen Williams, Uzman Jang, and Jalen Williams for the second time. Just a lot of uh, interesting stuff that happened there. But really this whole entire draft was just kind of all over the place. And for the Thunder, this is an entirely different scene than what it was a year ago. A year ago, the Thunder had three first-round picks at 6, 16, and 18, but the best trade-up was packaging 16 and 18 to maybe get into the back end of the lottery. Instead, they moved 18, or they moved 16 for two future seconds, and that pick became Alperin Sangoon. But this time around, you are basically at the top of the board at number two, and you have pick 12 and pick 34 to go along with it. Seemed like there was a consensus top three locked in. Adrian Wojnarowski posted earlier Thursday morning that basically it was set in stone. It would be Jabari Smith going to the Magic, Chet Holmgren going to the Thunder, and Paulo Bancaro going to the Houston Rockets at pick number three. Earlier, though, on Thursday morning, there was a crazy sway. In betting, if you checked the odds a couple weeks ago, if you were putting bets on Paulo being number one, you would be sitting pretty right now because he was like plus 800. And then Thursday morning, he's now the favorite. It changed yet again after the Woj tweet, and it seems set in stone, like I said. And then Woj ends up tweeting, oh, wait, never mind. Maybe they are taking Paulo. So the top of the board just got completely shanked. Normally in most years, you're at least able to get the correct like first two or three picks on your mock draft. Absolutely not this go around. Paulo Bancaro going number one of the Magic and what is one of the greatest smoke screens we've seen from an organization sitting at number one overall. You hardly ever attempt to even do this stuff. Because there's normally that locked in number one prospect you'll find. The Pistons tried doing it last year where they said they were interested in Jalen Green. Obviously, they went with Cade Cunningham. And that rumor um, kind of kicked in. It was it was a rumor. That's what it was. When you look at this situation with the Magic, the rumor was that they were interested in Paolo. The report was they wanted Jabari Smith at number one. So they kept it covert the entire pre-draft process, and I don't want to hear anybody complaining about it. It was genius from their organization to you know keep things hidden a little bit and get everybody kind of on edge almost. When you think of why would it help them, they're number one, this would only hurt them in terms of relationships, it's going to keep people kind of weary of the magic and what their next move is. And also, they threw the Houston Rockets on the biggest roller coaster ever. So they had to deal with a tough time in the war room, I would imagine. But then it got to number two with Chet Holmgren. And 
funny story here. Whenever I do draft coverage, you know, obviously if you're reporting, you have to have notifications. You have to see some of these draft picks, but I tend to not look at them uh, whenever the Thunder are approaching, especially at number two, because you can have a ride up on either prospect fairly easily or three because of the wrench that got thrown in, but it wasn't a big deal, right? I got a Twitter DM from one of my buddies. Um, I was showing my draft guide to him, and he said that Jabari Smith was the pick. Now, I wasn't looking at Woj. I wasn't looking at Shams. I just saw this Twitter message, and I was like, oh, man, anticipation just gone. So I thought Jabari was the pick. I was kind of frazzled, like, you know, you're kind of trained off of all these consensus mocks and just really watching players that you're bought into somebody. And I was bought into Chet and his fit in OKC. Jabari, I think prior to the lottery, would have been one of my top guys, but I'm good with Chet. So when I saw that, I was like, oh my goodness, what is happening? They went with Chet, though, and pretty good reaction, um, I would say, from everybody. When you kind of break it down, I think Chet was clearly the best fit for this team. And when... Presti was kind of going into his discussions on Chet. You know, he did mention him as a unique prospect in terms of like ball handling skills and such and how uniqueness can really separate players from the rest of the pack and generate those stars, if you will. Um, He said that he obviously needs uh, some development, as does everybody else they selected. But he was high on him on those key traits. And same goes with VP Will Dawkins. But I think Chet was that kind of clear pick at number two. When you look at overall talent, I think you could make a case for Paulo, but he's gone. He's number one. And for Jabari, he has a very strong fit, but I don't think he checks as many boxes as what Chet Holmgren does for the Oklahoma City Thunder. When you look at this Thunder franchise and what their biggest issue has been, really, Uh, the last season, but it's almost a historical thing that you could put this at, is they have just been atrocious when it comes to catch and shooting. And a lot of it has to do with some of the floor space. And you'll see a clogged up lane. And then the guys that they do end up having on the court just aren't able to produce off of wide open shots. You need to find someone who can space the floor out and cash in on those catch and shoot triples. Chet Holmgren does that, but he does even more. I think when you're talking ceiling in this class it's Holmgren far and away and this isn't a a crazy take I think this is across the board just how it is this is a seven footer with a seven foot six wingspan is he 195 pounds yes he's 195 pounds but he moves around the floor unlike basically everybody we've seen at this center position he shot 39 percent from distance with Gonzaga elite rim protection which I think is going to be a strength regardless of what the scale ends up saying with him and he has just so many more pieces of potential on that plate could injury concerns be on the table sure there were reports of Holmgren not releasing medical information all this and all that but if that was a major concern OKC could have dodged him and got a hell of a prospect in Jabari Presti said that, in general, the prospects are getting better year after year. And he said this year and last year, he thought we're very, very talented in this top grouping. So, you know, this was a call that, obviously, they had to do their due diligence on. And I'm sure they dove into the medicals. Seems like they're confident on it. And they're confident in how Chet can contribute 
as that player, obviously. Not only is he that shooter, though, I think the actual biggest void has been the positional needs. Oklahoma City has not had a center. They went into last year's draft basically needing one, and they did not do it. They had Sangoon at 16, but they just had an offer they couldn't refuse. Two first-round picks for a mid-first-round pick doesn't come up too often, so they took that dice roll, and they used it later on in last night's draft with Jang, but... They ended up not picking anybody. JRE has to be your fill-in small ball five. And that's basically what they had to do, not just this year, but even last year in some sense with guys like Isaiah Roby. Moses Brown wasn't cutting it for them. They didn't want Omer Yurt 7 from the blue. And guys like Tony Bradley, they didn't even pick up the qualifying offer. So they needed somebody to revolutionize the five spot. Chet Holmgren is going to do that. And he adds just so many more dimensions to the game that you're not going to find from anybody else in this draft class. When I look at him as a talent and I look at him as a player who's fitting with the Oklahoma City Thunder, it opens up so many different avenues that just weren't imaginable a couple days ago because the Thunder are centralized around this backcourt that they're building. When you look three through five, do they have pieces? Yes. Do they have any generational pieces? I don't think so. I think Dort is a very good player, but that's the best you're getting three through five. You don't have the the talent you do at the one and two positions with SGA, Giddy, and even Trey Mann off the bench. And what that group has done, in particular SGA and Josh Giddy, is they have mastered the art of the pick and roll. If you set them a high ball screen, they're going to attack the basket. And in Giddy's case, he has eyes in the back of his head. He's going to find anybody on the floor, and he's going to do a hell of a job at it. With SGA, he also has very good passing vision, but he's also one of the best isolation scorers off of drives. He led the league in drives two years in a row, and a lot of times SGA just took shots that were abysmal in terms of quality. He got the whistle on some occasions, and he made some difficult shots, but you do not want your star being forced to take five, six heavily contested layups per game if you don't have to. The reason why he was doing it is because it was the best option. When OKC is shooting barely 30% on catch-and-shoot triples, it's it's in other teams' best interest to not guard them. And for some players in particular, like Poku and Baisley, where they're very chalky, if they're pinned in a corner... Oh, you better collapse inside. You you can throw box and one every once in a while, and it's going to help. And you can play drop coverage, too, if you would like, because you just don't have a stretch five off that screen. OKC has been trying to jerry-rig it with guys like Roby and JRE that are really fours playing up to size. Chet Holmgren is a solidified five. I think you can play him at the four, but in closing lineups, he is the center for you. And he's going to work so fluidly just in a half-court situation with SGA and Josh Giddy, And it's so alleviating to see this finally being fixed because this is one of the major kind of turning points that this rebuild has been putting on the back burner for the last two years. And it's all about the waiting game. I don't think you should have forced uh, selecting a center in last year's draft class. There really was none outside of Evan Mobley there. And this go-around, Chet just happened to be one of the best players available anyways. But he can set you that high ball screen. Not only is he able to pop to the three, which is the big key in terms of the spacing you have, but he can also roll to the basket. He can slip inside, loft pass from Josh Giddy. He's 6'8", Holmgren's 7 feet tall. That's a pretty 
tall duo you have right there, and that could result in a lot of very good buckets. Top to bottom, everybody's going to get very big upgrades because of the spacing Holmgren brings, but he's not just this off-ball type of player. You know, you think of him as this guy who's getting rebounds, getting rejections, and helping in the pick and roll. No, you can play him at the wing or the corner. He'll hit threes. You can have him going off of DHOs or stagger screens, and there's potential for him to even handle the basketball in some areas. Amazing transition finisher where he's able to take the ball and immediately go coast to coast with it. And it's not just straight line drive to the basket, try to take contact. No, if you're sagging off in transition, he's going to shoot a three-pointer and he's damn good at it because he has had a lot of reps with the Gonzaga Bulldogs in doing so. Same goes with him as a trailer. So this is basically on the offensive front, a potential three-level scorer and he's seven feet tall. Does he have the isolation package right now? I don't think he does, but when you already have a system that's surrounded around these primary ball handlers, two of them to be exact, having a player such as Chet is going to be big time in this ongoing process. So for me, absolutely love it on the offensive side of things. Defensively, much of the same story because OKC has been getting absolutely dismantled by not even premier back-to-basket bigs, but just back-to-basket bigs in general. I wouldn't say this past season, but two years ago, Ennis Cancer Freedom was basically an all-star anytime he stepped on the floor. Isaiah Roby couldn't guard him. This was the time where they didn't really have Moses Brown in the cards. Al Horford was being put on rest for games. So he was balling out, and Nas Reed the last two years has been an all-star as well against the OKC Thunder. Just these bigger back-to-basket bigs that live around the interior eat their lunch, and these are rotational centers. Nas Reed's a pretty high-quality one, but he's not really starting. When you start talking about starting centers, Nikola Vucevic, for example, he's going to be dropping 32 points on last year's Thunder team consistently just because they didn't have a true five that was going to play. Now you have it in Chet, and I think above all else, what you're going to find is he is a rim protector. If there's one accolade he's getting in his career, it's going to come from the defensive side of the basketball. He ended up averaging close to four blocks per game this past season, 3.7 blocks to 2.7 fouls. These came off of him standing straight vertically. You know, he's got the standing reach with his given frame, but also on chase down blocks. The way he's able to just fill up space is ridiculous. And the way OKC is building, they don't really want to be acquiring flat-footed centers, in my opinion. You'll see with Jalen Williams later in this draft, they didn't want flat-footed centers. You had those potential options, But Chet's definitely not one of them, and Jalen Williams is definitely not one of them either. He's able to play basically all coverages in the pick and roll, which has burnt multiple different players. Steven Adams, Ennis Cantor, they couldn't really operate in the playoffs the way they needed to just off of those types of screens. Chet can swim around those. He can help hedge, drop, or in some stints, he can try to even switch on some of these guys and should have a decent closeout on him. 
amazing work by OKC taking Chet. I think that the way this team is going, they want to shoot for upside. This was the highest upside player in this draft class, but don't get it twisted. This isn't a upside swing. This is a player who has a high floor, but has an astronomical ceiling that is just very hard to pass up on. So that is my evaluation on Chet right now. I think you insert him as as that starting five, obviously, from the get-go, and you kind of get that trickle-down effect where guys like Jeremiah Robinson Earl might be that second-string center, and someone like Isaiah Roby would have to move down to the four spot. Also have favors, Muscala and Jermichael Green you have to make calls on, but that's sort of the foundation that Chet has led, and it's a really good one for just how OKC wants to play basketball because they have sort of been stuck, I don't want to say in limbo, but you could tell that they were almost buying time at the five. Chet gives you the foundation, and he's a major building block you can pair up with some of your current stars on the roster. Want to talk about what happened later on in the lottery in one second here. First, just want to give a quick Shout out to my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook. Going to have Summer League in the next two weeks. In that meantime, though, NHL action is going on over there. New customers at DraftKings Sportsbook can bet $5 on any team to win a game and get $100 in free bets no matter what the end result is. If you're looking to turn a small bet into a big payday during the playoffs with DraftKings Same Game Parlays, you can do just that. Create your own parlay by combining multiple bets like which team will win, how many goals will be scored, and more. It's your shot at an even bigger payout. Here's what you have to do for the offer. Go ahead and download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Bet $5 on any NHL team to win and get $100 in free bets no matter what. That's code TBPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Continuing on, on what we saw in this draft though, you keep moving on the board. Jabari's at three. What is going to happen with Sacramento at four? You saw rumors basically for the last three weeks that OKC was interested in Jay Nivey. And I would love to see Jay Nivey in Oklahoma City jersey. You could trade a boatload of picks, and I still think he would be a valuable pickup. And because of his upside, it's worth it. Sacramento gets the board. You already know where Sacramento is as a franchise. They've been in a playoff drought that's close to 20 years at this point. They have De'Aaron Fox, traded away Tyrese Halliburton, so now they have Davion Mitchell at the two, Harrison Barnes, and they just got Sabonis. So they're a fringe playing team. Want to get over the edge. Best player available is easily Jaden Ivey right here. I don't know anybody who says otherwise. I think Ivey might be a top three guy in this class anyways, but... They don't take him. They don't take him. Try to find a trade-up option, Sacramento. And I know they exhausted it. I know they were probably looking for weeks to find what they needed and just couldn't get what they wanted. They take Keegan Murray. And Keegan Murray's still going to be a decent player. For myself, I have him ranked almost as like a back-end-of-the-lottery prospect. 
and we'll have to see how he fits in Sacramento. But this was basically a chance at grabbing, you know, one of those stars to pair next to Fox. And they didn't go for it and put Ivy in Detroit's lap. I think Detroit is one of the biggest winners coming out of this draft class. End up bringing in Jaden Ivy. And then they had some later moves. I know they were involved in the uh, Jalen Duran move. So they picked up him as well. That is one good pairing that they brought in there. Two just insanely athletic guys to surround with Cade Cunningham. Uh, but that's going to give them kind of that sidekick that Cade needed. And it, it didn't look possible after lottery night that they could get Ivy. Seemed like they'd have to go for Sharp at best. But they end up getting a potential star in Jaden. I'm confident that he'll make that next jump. And with someone like Cade, I think that it even strengthens those odds. Ben Matherin at 6. I thought that they would go for Dyson Daniels, but you can't knock it. Shaden Sharp at pick number 7. High upside swing. This is where OKC could have snuck in. Couldn't get a trade up there. At number 8, couldn't trade up to that selection. Dyson Daniels was the call. I think that is basically the best fit the Pelicans could have found. I had Dyson going to the Pacers in my mock draft. And I thought the value was good at 6. At 8, this is exactly what the Pels needed. A six foot eight guard who can play multiple positions if need be on the team. Sohan at nine. OKC seemed like they would either use Sohan as just a complete smokescreen or they'd love him. They didn't even get the chance because he didn't fall to 12. But that was sort of a sigh of relief for me because I think you really need to hone in on shooting and that's part of the rebuild they have going on. Sohan amazing on the defensive front. I think he's going to be great in San Antonio, but a lot of time it it just comes down to situation. I think the situation in Sacramento or in San Antonio, excuse me, is a lot better than it would be uh, with the Thunder. Johnny Davis at 10. Then you get to the fun stuff and Uzmane Jang is the selection for the New York Knicks. And I was watching a Michael Rappaport clip if you guys have, you know, been on Twitter, been on any social media uh, for the last few years, during draft time, you've seen Kristaps Porzingis' selection and his reaction to that pick. Boo's going everywhere and Kristaps is picked fourth. Rappaport's cussing out his television screen. I almost checked Rappaport again to see if he had something to say about Uzmain, but they didn't even get the chance because... They selected him at pick number 11 only to immediately trade him to the Oklahoma City Thunder. And once again, I keep myself updated, but during the draft, I think, you know, just for the overall experience, sometimes you do have to kind of put that phone down for just a second. And once you get that pick in, then I can start typing, right? I thought that 12 was going to be in the move. It would be crazy to move up just one, but they showed last year that they were willing to move up uh, good chips to get up a pick or two. But they end up getting him basically for pick number 16 last year and a 2023 Denver first-round pick they got in the Steven Adams trade. Say what you want about Usman. This is not bad value whatsoever. You could call it a tad bit of an overpay because when you delve into the details, the selections they used, all three of them are for next year. That is projected to be one of the highly coveted draft classes at the top of the board and potentially beyond as well. But 
OKC flipped one pick to get the Wizards conditional pick, as well as the other selection they end up harvesting. I don't see anything too bad in this whatsoever. And if OKC was sold on Uzmain, which clearly they were, I am all about it. So if I'm going to go into the overall protections of the pick, Nuggets and Wizards pick were both lottery protected for next year. The Nuggets one's just not going to convey, so that's going to move back a year. And Washington's pick might be on the cusp of uh, the lottery selection, or excuse me, Nuggets pick is going to convey as, um, you know, a next round selection. When you look at the Wizards selection, it might end up not cutting it either. So basically, I think the only pick out of these three that could convey would be the Denver Nuggets selection. That one should be, and it should be in the high 20s. With the Wizards, them being a lottery team is always up in the air. Detroit, it's a top 18 protected pick. It's good as gone. It's moving on to another season. So those are the trades and just the overall asset building Presti has done to where it's three first round picks on paper, but... Chances are none of them are at 11, and OKC got these through two separate deals. Part of the Steven Adams trade, and then the other trade. And honestly, the Steven Adams trade was for the better. I don't even know if you need a first-round pick for it to be okay. They got rid of his salary, got Kenrich Williams on board. That sounds good with me. So, they end up getting Usman in what was basically a shocker, because now they have back-to-back picks. And in the very next selection, they take my favorite player in this draft class, Jalen Williams out of Santa Clara. No one had him projected to go 12. I did on my mock draft. I'll go into this later. Not just at 2, not just at 12, but at 30. I got all three picks correct. The pick that they moved to the Denver Nuggets, Peyton Watson, I called that one too. That's probably my proudest moment in my mock drafts, Uh, but... Yeah, that was a very fun experience. I'm more happy about this overall haul that you got at 11 and 12. And here's why. I think when you look at the Thunder and what I would have deemed a successful draft, it comes down to a couple different elements. You need to get that cornerstone at number two. They do that with Chet Holmgren. And then you get into filling in your needs. You need to get a catch-and-shoot prospect and somebody that you believe can be that number four guard. Jalen Williams is that number four guard. I don't care if he's 21 years old. High floor, high ceiling with this guy. People probably see him as a role player. He's not a role player. He's someone who can develop into a starter and be a big-time contributor in multiple different areas. Another thing. High upside. OKC has so many draft picks that they have in the chamber. It's not worth it to pick role player after role player. That's not where they are in their rebuild. They need to be going for those guys they think could develop into something very special and go after that. Roll the dice a couple times. That's what they did in this trade up for Usman. And I understand he's very raw as a player. The Knicks might have not even wanted him. They just wanted to secure two guys at 11 and 12, and they might have overpaid a bit in doing so. But you look at his overall frame, and you look at his age. He's 18 years old. This is a very intriguing prospect. And OKC has had the issue at the the small forward, where they put Lou Dort at the three. He wasn't traditionally playing the three. And... 
I think you need to get a genuine three. Uzmain is exactly that, and what does he bring? Potential, potential, potential. He did not have a good season to start out with the New Zealand Breakers, but he picked it up in his closing 12 games. Turned into a good shooter. He had some outings where he didn't miss from three-point range, and he was basically the best player on the court. And he's 6'10", 7'1", wingspan. Ball handling galore. That's what OKC loves, as we've seen the last couple draft cycles. First and second round. And he also has the overall shooting potential that, you know, could really get things going in terms of him as a prospect. And there were better prospects available if you want to talk base level. Immediately going into training camp, Uzmain is not going to be a top player. He might get outplayed by just about everybody, right? If you brought in AJ Griffin, who I know people are were high on, he would be someone that sl- like slots in and gives you catch and shoot potential from the get go, and he would help out the team significantly. But when you're talking the overall array of skills and the tools that can be built off. Uzmain has a package that I don't think anyone else had uh, moving past 11. It's a low floor with him, so it's a low floor, high, high ceiling. But that's exactly what OKC needed to be doing, especially when they had three lottery picks at their disposal instead of just having two shots, one to pair up with Chet. Because now, it's not about having that duo. There's no pressure because of this trade. It was just going after the best players and who they believe will fit in the long-term future. And with Uzmain, you can see that, you know, there could be some stars aligning with him. Really mobile for his build. Cross-court dimes is something that he's always looking to uh, go out on the hunt for. And he has a pretty good jump shot as well. He showed flashes of self-creation, which is something that this team could really use at the small forward position. And if he's able to stay at it, that's going to be key. There's a lot of swing factors with Uzmain, which is what you know prevents him from being this high floor, surefire stud. Um, but if he climbs past them, that's when you get into really, really high territory where he's not a bust by the endis, a, a, any any imagination. <laughs> I'm stuttering a little bit on that one. But yeah, I mean the tools as the handler as someone who can create off of step backs, is pretty damn good. And then on the defensive front as well. Really good project piece where he wasn't defending really front court guys, but he was defending more one through three. And he has really good lateral quickness where he's able to kind of stay around multiple different defenders, but he has some verticality to where he can reject some shots and get things going on the other side of the basketball. His fit is good, but also you have to understand this is a very big project piece because Uzmain was not the best player available for win-now scenarios. Even for 18-year-olds, someone like A.J. Griffin, like I noted, is going to come into the league just as a better player. But if they're playing the long game and they're really bought into what Uzmain can do with guys like Josh Giddy, SGA, and now Holmgren, then this was a slam dunk pick, and you really can't be upset about it, really whatsoever. There is that hole in the three. Does he patch up your shooting woes? Not right now. That's the one thing that I think the Thunder definitely had to overcome in terms of shot confidence, because if he cannot shoot the basketball 
and you still don't have a option at the power forward, let's say it's Bays and Poku and neither of them rattle down threes, well, then you have another big issue on your hands uh, getting a sharpshooting three or four. This is a, a pick that will take a couple years to develop, but you can say for certain OKC did its homework in selecting him. And you know this because in the presser, Will Dawkins mentioned that Presti was doing scouting all over the place. And he stumbled upon Dang when he was 16 years old playing in France. So he's been on their radar as a 6'3 guard. Now he's 6'10 with some guard-like skills. Obviously, that holds some value. And they want to see where he can pair up with, I think in particular, Josh Giddy and that situation. So what do you do after you get Holmgren and a really high home run type swing. You go after someone that you know will help contribute, and that's Jalen Williams out of Santa Clara. And as I noted not too long ago, not too many people were having Williams even in consideration for pick 12. Jalen Williams has been on the radar for a week or two here, man. When I'm talking on my tweets Jalen Williams was always the center of my discussion at pick number 12. This didn't come from sources. This just came from looking at the team head on. A lot of times consensus reports kind of get things jaded in terms of perspective. One through three, everyone has Paulo number one on your big board. Put him number one on the on the mock draft. I didn't do it because consensus didn't say so. Basically, same goes all around. In terms of pick 12, it didn't matter. And after you saw what happened at 11... It basically threw, you know, consensus out of the window, basically. Jalen Williams, he's 21, so he's not 18, he's not 19. He has a ton of ceiling in him, and he's able to contribute on both sides of the basketball in ways that Oklahoma City really just needs. And Oklahoma City has three extremely good backcourt players, SGA, Josh Giddy, and Trey Mann. Who's the number four? You've slid down guys like Kenrich Williams and Aaron Wiggins in that spot, but are they the long-term guys? I think that either of them could be very good role players, but do they have high ceilings? I would say probably not. You have the chance to get a very solid prospect here that not only solidifies that number four option, but he really is able to make everybody interchangeable in the lineups. Jalen Williams does that in the sense that he's not just a shooting guard, and he's not a combo guard. He's a 2-3 wing. At 6 foot 5 with a 7 foot 2 wingspan, he possesses insane length and he he possesses insane skill. Let's call it how it is. The Thunder's backcourt has the one glaring issue of SGA and Josh Giddy being extremely good on-ball players, but they were very flaky off the ball. And I know SGA shot in the 40s from distance off the catch last year, so it's not like a major plague with him, but Giddy wasn't a very good shooter, and you need to have somebody that you can rely on on catch-and-shoot shots. Lou Dort kind of sunk down last year. You can put Williams actually with SGA and Josh Giddy in rotations, and you're going to be just fine because he's able to play either position. If Giddy's not able to play the three, Williams can kind of fill the same role Lou Dort does, but add a whole different element because Lou Dort on the offensive front is a lot more of a you-create-for-me type player. 
If you give him the basketball at the corner and he's open, he's going to pop it. If someone's closing out hard off that initial catch, he's going to drive by and try to score there. Very smart player, but in terms of playing on the deck, he doesn't show it off too much. Jalen Williams made his money's worth at Santa Clara with his on-ball creation. When you're talking step-back jump shots, playing in isolation situations, he was able to pick his spots virtually at will, and he had a couple ankle breakers in the highlight reel. Had one on Chet Holmgren, actually. So that's going to be a fun one that he can delve into uh, whenever they settle down in Oklahoma City. But really good ball handler. This was a guard, or he was a guard, Basically until he hit a growth spurt and then he moved into some higher positions, but that's never left him. OKC wants to have as many ball handlers as possible. They have did this with all three of their top picks because all three can handle in stints. I think Jalen Williams is their best ball handler though and their best overall playmaker um, that you'll find. But the big thing is off-ball ability. You need to find someone that can play off of SGA and Josh Giddy at an elite level. Jalen Williams was the obvious option and the best option in this draft class for fulfilling that need because he's not going to be taking a ton of attention away. He's not stealing on-ball reps from you. You can put him in the corner, put him in the wing. He's going to drag some attention. If not, you give it to him and he'll shoot the basketball. But if you need someone to carry the load, he's going to be that secondary playmaker and he's going to do first level production in that category because he's been so ingrained as a playmaker. At Santa Clara, he was the guy man in the the half court offense and he averaged 18 points to go along with it. Ended up shooting pretty high from the three point range as well. Uh, Let me pull up the little snippet on him here. Yeah, he shot 40% from three this year on 3.2 attempts. So he's looking good. Defensively, though, this is where you get things even better because the Thunder are going to get hit with switch after switch. Who's going to be able to play multiple positions defensively? Jalen Williams is going to be able to do that with his length and with his overall foot speed. I think he is going to be able to work against multiple different opponents and he's going to be able to make a serious impact there with anyone you need. He's not going to, you know, kind of handicap you in terms of rotations. All he does is he expands it tenfold. Perfect glue guy who's able to take the game over himself. So it's not you bring him in as the number four guard and you expect him to just be the bench dude. No, you pick him expecting him to blossom basically in all categories and turn into a starter, um, starting level production at the bare minimum. But someone who's given you 26, 28 minutes, whether it's coming off the bench or as a starter, just weaving you in between different rotations. And at best case scenario, you know, he's going to have a, a pretty damn high ceiling than what people are making him out to be. Someone who's able to put the ball on the deck, create for himself, but also create for others, and on defense, be that two-headed monster that warranted a lottery selection. I think the real deterrent was the age and why he wasn't mocked in lotteries and the overall play because he wasn't Santa Clara. He's an overall winner, though, and he has shown time and time again that he is looking to prove himself. This was the big statement in the press conference that I took away from things. 
you know, they loved his work ethic. They loved his journey. And, you know, he had to work for basically everything. In the NBA draft combine, everybody was scared to hop on the hardwood. They would do the drills, they would do the measurements, but they would not play in games because they were afraid of their draft stock plummeting. For a lot of these guys, their draft stock plummeted because they didn't play in these games. Jalen Williams played in both scrimmages, was the best player in day one, decided to return for day two, played even better, and became a lottery pick out of it. You don't have to go to a Power 5 school to be a lottery pick. You don't have to be dodging all this you know, different type of competition to be a lottery pick. Scouts want to see you at the highest level. And when you perform, it gives a real statement and it tells how you are as a person. The Oklahoma City Thunder are always picking based on the person. Person, not the player, is something that you'll hear. It's not something that comes from the organization, obviously. But one of the traits that they mention is they're always looking to draft that type of person because they know who you have and, and they can build up the skills. If you have the skills but you don't have the personality to make things work, it's going to be a long-term issue that you know could end up stunting the, the team overall. Jalen Williams seems like the ideal guy here. And even though there were plenty of options on this draft board, I'll give it to you, this was the best player available for what OKC would like. Could there be some all-star level potential guys around? I'm sure there could be. But trust me, Williams is an A-plus grade in this situation. And for the overall lottery, I still think it's an A-plus, even if you don't like Usman Jang. And I think that it's a long-term piece that is very risky. I think out of the lottery, he's the riskiest player. And even expanding out to the first round, one of the more risky bets that you're looking to take. But the payoff is big time, and for what OKC gave away, I'm really not all that concerned about it. That number 16 pick last year had value. That's what I'm looking at that as, pick 16 in a protected Denver first. That's going to be pick 23 next year and what would have been Sangoon. They didn't take Sangoon, and it, it worked out fine because they still got Giddy. Trey Mann and Jeremiah Robinson Earl and Aaron Wiggins out of that draft class. Four very good contributors. And they're trying to get another contributor at pick number 34 with Jalen Williams from Arkansas. But you have to go through, uh, you know, the ins and outs of the first round to kind of get towards that. In terms of some surprises, you saw the Hornets go Jalen Dern and then uh, Mark Williams with their selections. They kept Mark Williams, dished out Jalen Duran, got him to Detroit. Like I said, I think Detroit did a really good job in how they navigated everything. Memphis climbing in and out of the board, moved 22 and 29 to get Jake LaRavia, and then they traded up again at 23 to get David Roddy. Basically just going after two-way role players over and over again. They got Vince Williams Jr. in the second round, who is basically the identical blueprint to those two. Um, And you had some other interesting pickups. A.J. Griffin, who I know some liked to the Thunder, went 16 to the Hawks. Tari Eason, 17 to the Rockets. Love that. Daylon Terry is a great energy guy at 18 too. Patrick Baldwin at 28. That that was a player I thought could slide to the second round for the Thunder. Um, But... The Warriors took him, and even though some people don't like Baldwin, they don't think he's going to fulfill the high school resume, think he's going to stick around as just this dude who jumped 26 and a half inches at the combine, 
the Warriors are the best spot for him because they can use him like Jalen Johnson was used, put him with the Santa Cruz Warriors, and you have that secondary layer of this franchise with Jonathan Kuminga, Moses Moody, and now you end up adding Patrick Baldwin, who is more of those one of those high upside type of players. Same goes with Nikola Jovic, who was selected one pick before going to the Miami Heat. Second round rolls in, though. And there is a good amount of talent. I think that OKC really couldn't have gone wrong here in this situation because I say the top 40 picks, there's always someone that's going to fill some needs for you. They kind of hit all the big ones that I wanted. So high upside would be the utmost priority for me. Jaden Hardy was the clear-cut highest upside guy available at 34, uh, but they passed on him. I think it makes sense because... You already kind of committed yourself to Jalen Williams at 12 and Trey Mann. He's going to be that on-ball guy off the bench. It'd just be too much of a crunch. So don't go for him. Instead, they double dip in centers and they get Jalen Williams for the second time, but he's out of Arkansas. Michael Cage and Chris Fisher on the broadcast booth. If you weren't a, um, a Bally Sports Oklahoma fan last year, you are going to be hooked to the TV screen all of next year. And in the summer league too, it's going to be a, a total blast. Jalen Williams throwing lobs to Jalen Williams. Jalen Williams assisted by Jalen Williams. It's going to sound like a 2K game over there for Mario Nanny on the uh, microphone in game. So get ready for that. And in the summer league too, I'm excited to see how the announcers navigate uh, through the, the two different Jalen Williams on the roster. And um, Arkansas, Jalen Williams had an interview where he said that they kept running into each other, and it was kind of an ongoing joke where they just continue to see each other, and they're like, hey, get out of my space, Jalen Williams. <laughs> Coming from Jalen Williams. So it's going to be a, a good budding joke, and one of them will probably get a nickname, I'm certain of that. Hopefully they're both around for a long time, and I would be so stoked back end of the year, put Jalen Williams and Jalen Williams as your back end starters to close the season out, have Nanny announce the two in succession. Oh my goodness. It'd be beautiful. Um, but for the riding front, it's going to be a nightmare for some of the guys on the beat just because you know how you got to word those two. And uh, now you have Kenrich Williams also. So you have a trio of Williamses. And depending on what happens in the summer league market, they might get a fourth one, which would be absolutely marvelous if that were to be the case. Anyways, though, I'm a fan of Jalen Williams, Arkansas Jalen Williams, and what he kind of adds to the team. He had a really good sophomore campaign. As a freshman, you really didn't see him on many radars. Bench guy who averaged four points and five rebounds, expanded to a double-double player this year 11 points and 10 boards 1.5 of those on the offensive end 1.3 steals and 1.1 blocks 610 245 with a seven foot wingspan once again he's able to move around the court extremely well and motor is something that i chirp about you listen to the pods i had earlier uh, on thursday morning what is it I love about undrafted guys and second round picks? It's motor. You need to look at the person. You also need to look at 
some factors that you can teach, but really not to a high degree. Just having that motor in you and that willingness to sacrifice your body play after play is something that gives you a lot of respect. And Jalen Williams is one of the best in that category. He ended up leading the NCAA Division I basketball, obviously, in charging calls. I believe it was in the 50s, and he had about 15 double-doubles to go along with that. Stat sheet stuffer. Energy guy is what sticks out to me. And he wasn't like a premium shooter from downtown. He shot 23% from distance this past season on 71 tries. But he is a good foul shooter. Career 73% at the stripe. And that's going to tell you that maybe he can be in the mid-range game. The big difference between him and the other second round centers is he's athletic. And what we've seen in the last few draft classes, the Thunder didn't get to pick any of them. But there have been those sneaky, athletic fours and fives. I think Zeke Nanaji is the one that really sticks out to me. Got picked by Denver a couple years ago and just hasn't gotten the run yet. I'm sure he will. This dude is a lob threat. I've heard he's a great person. And Jalen Williams very well could be a great person. And he could also be a, a pretty damn good lob threat for this franchise. This is more shooting for someone you think can carve out that backup role on this team. And it really just tells you that they are all in about length and speed and overall versatility too, because he is able to navigate pretty well for the overall position and not give up a crazy amount of fouls in the process. This is just another little move where... You know, you can just sprinkle things in. Almost the luxury pick. I had 12 as a luxury pick. I think now it got shifted over to 34. Whoever you think has that high floor, the high ceiling, it really doesn't matter. Just bring them on and see what happens. Williams, for me, I I didn't have him in my mock. I, I went to pick 34 and he wasn't there. But I definitely could see why the Thunder took him here and why he was in consideration Uh, Maybe even in for some first round teams just because he's able to get in on plays and and just make really high defensive reads you don't see from any prospects. In particular, I'm speaking on how he's able to get in on charge fouls. But those were the four prospects selected by Oklahoma City in this draft. They didn't try trading back up in this class. Max Christie was the selection right after. The Lakers bought in a couple hours before the draft, which is something that... I thought was great for them. I think as a team just like sinking into luxury taxes, you need to build through the draft. And just in general, everybody needs to build through the draft. So they get a good chip there. Jaden Hardy going to the Dallas Mavericks. I don't know if Dallas necessarily needs uh, a guy like Hardy, but at some points you just need to go best player available. And if he reaches his potential, this is a very scary player that you could have on your roster. I'm going to say the Cavs did a really good job in the sense they got Isaiah Mobley at pick 49, pairing him up with Evan. So it's good to see that brother-brother duo back in action. Big brother Isaiah maybe having to teach younger brother Isaiah Mobley a lesson, or Evan Mobley a lesson. I I pulled a Jalen Williams there. What am I doing? Um, but I thought that was one of the cool, cooler parts you saw in the second round. Already talked about Vince Williams, very high on him as a prospect. And at 57, the Blazers getting Jabari Walker, something that I really like for their case. 
Are you actively rooting for the Blazers if you're a Thunder fan? Maybe not, but at 19 years old, you love what he can bring as a shooter. And with him and Shaden Sharp in this draft hall, I'd say it was uh, a nice little pickup between those two different players. But this was just an all-around wild, wild draft because you really couldn't call the shots on anything. I think it's interesting because my mock draft, and mock drafts are meant to die, by the way. There's no way you're getting a perfect mock. All of my correct picks were basically the Thunder in the first round. I think through 10 picks, or through the first nine, the only one I had correct was Chet, and then I got Johnny Davis. Knicks, I I think I had Sohan go in there or something. Jalen Williams I had correct. Jalen Duran I had correct. Then it's just a cold spell. And then I got Peyton Watson at 30, which was just so, so wacky that it panned out that way. Normally, you can't predict the Thunder selections. I think two was kind of clean cut. 12 definitely wasn't, so I'm going to take credit for that, having that kind of front office mind on what they would need. Um, I'm not going to take credit for the Peyton Watson, though. (laughs) I think that's a Denver type of call that they made. Really good move for them, though. I think that some are unhappy that this team didn't swing monumentally in the win column off of this draft. It's a lot of players that need some seasoning. I think the most ready prospect, obviously, is going to be Chet. But behind him, it's Jalen Williams at 12. This is not a prospect with Jalen Williams. I I seriously believe he's going to come in and be a serious player that everyone's going to grow fondly up by the end of the season. And Uzmain, yeah, that's your development piece. We'll have to see how they utilize him if he goes to the G League kind of with the Alexei Pokashevsky treatment or if he's just a bench guy to begin things. You have Dort at the three, and that's the important thing. You didn't trade Dort, so... Everything's happy there. You get a third lottery pick without moving a very good prospect in Lou, who could be part of that long-term future. And then obviously Jalen Williams. Um, you know, I think he's more of just that project, but he could turn into something very nice for this team. So it's a passing grade. I think I said it was an A plus lottery when the draft was live. I'm gonna stick with it because I think even if Uzmain doesn't pan out, you want to go after high ceiling type of players. It's better to do it now than it is later, just due to how the ping pong balls will rattle next year. You want to maximize your potential, um, you know, players you could reach. And if you take someone like Uzmain, who will take a couple years to develop, you know, that would help compared to taking. I keep using Griffin, but let's just keep using Griffin, you know. <laughs> Um, but really good, really good collection of picks for them. And I, I do think it, it does align with what they needed because they need catch and shoot guys. Chet does that. Jalen Williams from Santa Clara does that. Uh, and then you obviously fill the void of the center spot with Chet Holmgren and Jalen Williams, Arkansas. They really need to work on the nickname. Sam Presti, um, mentioned in the press conference. They'll have to work on that sort of as a tomorrow thing. Um, but I thought that was cool going into some of the other tiny details. Like I said, no Lou Dort getting traded. The only deal they made involved future picks, which I think those picks are obviously valuable, but the way OKC continues to just flip pick, flip pick, I'm totally okay with 
three firsts getting sent out because there's a lot of asterisks that need to be marked in how they ended up acquiring those picks in the first place. And they have a lot of extra baggage and they can't take all those first round picks. Let's call it how it is. So splash in the pot now. I'm I'm all about it. No Vasile Micic trade. I thought that they could get a deal to move up to 24, moving 34 to 24. Looks like the Bucks wanted no part of it. Same goes with what could have potentially happened with Denver. I know it's kind of odd because they literally just traded um, Jamichael Green and um, you know a future first to get 30. But with Jokic wanting Micic, you could try to swindle a package where maybe instead now the Thunder have 30 again and the Nuggets are at 34. Just something kind of small like that. We saw a EuroLeague first team player moved. I think it was from Sacramento in the um, trade we saw with them. Yes, yes, it was. I mean, this is a, a guy that got traded for a second-round draft pick, you know? And Micic, I think he would have been traded for a second-round draft pick. Don't know if it means he's sticking around with Anadolu. I think the easiest method of trading him would have been on draft night, but you still have the draft rights regardless, so he can make a call. And in the free agency period, you can try to kind of maybe get some sort of deal going to get everything to work out on that front nothing really changing on the roster except for the roster spaces of course it seemed like okc would be getting just three players this draft after moving out of 30 now they're back up to four new players and they just got jamichael green they have 20 players on this roster basically and i'm gonna take um you know some of the two-way guys obviously out of the cards because Lindy Waters isn't going to affect the actual standard deal, but they're going to get suffocated when it comes to having to pick and choose who's going to remain on this roster. SGA, Giddy, Dort, Bays, and Holmgren, I think, are the starters right now. Then Mann, Jalen Williams, Santa Clara, Uzme Jang, New Zealand Breakers, Poku, Favors, and then that third unit, you know, you can kind of pick and choose between guys like Maladon. Uh, Kenrich Williams, Aaron Wiggins, Credci, Muscala, Jalen Williams, Jermichael Green, Isaiah Roby. Just list can continue to go on and on. But the main thing here is they're just straight up loaded. Like I said, guys, if you add in Lindy, which if I will, let's do it now. That's a 20 man roster and they still have an additional spot for that secondary two way. So it's 19 standard deals. They've already picked up a couple guys for the Summer League, which I'll be going into probably in tomorrow's podcast later, but they've already looked into Summer League, guys. So training camp is going to be big. There's a couple players that are non-guaranteed. Teo Maladon's the big one that could be on the hot seat. Also, guys like Ty Jerome, he's guaranteed a little above 4 mil next year. He could be gone and you could just be removing some of those, you know, more low-scale salary guys, like Vete Kredge, for example. Chet Holmgren's sitting nice, though. Second most uh, amount of money uh, right now on this roster. I think Derek Favors leads with 10.2 mil, and then Chet is making a base $10 million right now. That's going to change after extensions, but it's a really cool tidbit to throw in in this current moment. 
I think another cool one that I found was OKC, to what I saw, is the only team in the 2000s to have three lottery picks in one given draft year. And with that, they just made a really good trio and a really good summer league roster going forward. So I'll continue to talk about that as we move on. I think this was a really good draft for the Thunder, though. Just overall progressing in some of these needed areas and just working on the upside and overall outlook going into next season. More deep dives coming later on this draft, though. Really appreciate you guys for sticking in and listening to the Draft Day pod here at the Thundersticks podcast, doing pods all throughout the offseason and in the regular season as well. Make sure to stay tuned for Summer League action, though. Really appreciate you guys for listening, and I'll talk to you all next time. See ya.